6, if you would. We'll get there in a couple minutes. Did y'all get caught in that rain today? It rained hard in some places, didn't it? I saw some... I didn't get caught in any of the rain, I don't think, but I saw some images online that suffered some flooding in Birmingham, right? In downtown Birmingham or somewhere. I hope nobody, hope none of you guys got caught, caught up in it. What we're doing in this class uh, for the last few months, and by the way, I'll be gone next Wednesday, and then I'll be back that next Wednesday, and that'll be the end of this class. Um, I'm going to do one more theme two weeks from tonight. And then we'll um, announce a schedule soon. Uh, Donnie, Donnie's been, Donnie Winningham's been working on the schedule for the next three months. So starting in April, April, May, June, there's going to be a, a series of different teachers in here. I guess that'll be 13 weeks, 13 Wednesdays, and uh, addressing a different thing. So we'll, we'll say more about that later. We'll, we'll uh, send that out and we'll put it in the bulletin and so you can be, uh, anticipate the themes and the different speakers. It'll be men in, in this congregation, so April, May, June. Then beyond that, our summer series is going to be staggered. Well, it's going to be backed up one month. It's going to actually, instead of being June, July, and August, our summer series where we bring in guest speakers from elsewhere will be July, August, and September. So just so you know what's coming up, um, somebody will fill in for me next week, and then the next week I'll teach, and then... The next three months will be a different teacher within our congregation every Wednesday. The three months after that will be a different speaker from outside the congregation, uh, different preachers from the area and within a couple hour radius of, of our church building here. And so that's what the next six months or so will look like in this class. So I'm going to finish up my, my theme class two weeks from tonight. So, so, so tonight we're going to do one more and then the next one in a couple weeks. Tonight is going to be this thing, a little bit different from what we've been doing, but it's, uh, I'm, I've been using some of the Bible Project stuff, you know, I mentioned that time, a time or two, or many times, and, uh, and I always say we may watch a video, and I think we'll get to it tonight, because I, I want to, and, and I hope we can, about six minutes, five, six minute video about this theme of justice, and this is a little bit different from like the tree of life, or the water of life, or the son of man, which we did last week, or or whatever that starts in Genesis and goes to the end. Now, this will be a theme that, that spans the entire scripture, but it'll just be a little bit different the way we talk about it. So let's think about justice. And I was thinking about this. So I didn't plan it like this. To In the library, we had a class on this, I think, this, this theme, not too long ago, two or three weeks ago. I try not to step on that material. A few of you may have been in there, so, but I don't think the material will overlap too much on, on what... That was a good class in, in the library, by the way, but we're uh, going to do it in a little bit kind of an um, overview kind of way. So, justice. What... Um, I wonder, we've, we've got this innate sense of justice, all right? So, so everybody in here has, has these feelings about justice, uh, and it doesn't take us long, quite honestly, from the time that we're born to, you know, when, when we are early in our days of being cognizant of the world around us, we have a, um, a pretty advanced system of justice. I mean, you take a, I don't know, I'm not good at thinking about the ages when kids do things anymore, and probably wasn't very good at it when my kids were at that age, but certainly not now. At what point does a, does a kid develop this feeling of fairness? Like, I think it happens with kids as young as, like, two or so, right? 
like maybe even a little bit younger than that, the piece of cake that I got is not as big as the piece that she got, something like that. That's pretty early, right? I mean, it doesn't take long. It's like it's almost like it's inborn. It's innate in us. This feeling of of fairness. If you read um, um, if you read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he points to this. That's not what we're going to talk about, but he points to this this sense of oughtness that humans feel, that human beings feel, is a reflection that we are created by a moral God. You know, the the, the existence of objective morality in the world, with this sense of oughtness. We have a feeling that certain things are not right, that they ought not so to be, you know. Points to the, some, you know, a, a moral lawgiver, a moral creator. But we do know that it's early on, in you know, this feeling of, man, this is not right. You can probably think to something that happened today in your own life, whether it's traffic and someone uses an unauthorized lane or whatever to get ahead, and you're like, it just burns you, right? You ever get burned by those sorts of things? People are cheating and getting ahead, and it's like, that's not fair. It's like, you know, there ought to be some, some sort of punishment for that. I hope you get a, I hope you get a, t- in fact, I saw, I saw a video, uh, TikTok or somewhere recently, YouTube maybe, it was this, this guy, and he shouldn't have been doing this, to be honest, but somehow he, I think he was driving and filming at the same time. Not a good idea. Maybe he was a passenger. But there was this guy who was weaving in and out of traffic. I mean, he was driving recklessly, and this guy was, you know, videoing him with his camera, with his phone. And the guy was obviously angry, and he was cutting people off, and he ran somebody off the road. I mean, it was, just, it was just crazy the way this guy was driving. And then all of a sudden, there comes from behind the guy who's, who's filming a police car with the lights on, and they come up behind the dude and pull him over. And the guy who's, who's making the video, he's like, yes, yes. You know, I, he, he's, got, he's getting what's coming to him. Have you ever had those feelings? You're on the road, and somebody drives by you going, you know, 50 miles faster than they ought to be going, 50 miles per hour faster, and you're like, I wish you'd get it. I wish it'd be a cop right around the corner up there, you know? So there's this feeling, this feeling of, 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 uh, of justice, of fairness, and when it's not there, we, we recoil. The, uh, this is a big thing, and this is a big thing in society now. And, and to be honest, it's a little bit of a buzzword, justice. You know, it... it, it it's found its way into political discourse, and, and that's the last thing I want to do in this class is to is get mired in something like that, you know, like a political sort of thing. But just to acknowledge the fact that whether a person is on the left or the right, um, everybody's concerned about justice. It's just they come at it from different angles, you know. And so, you know, a big thing now with social justice, you see that phrase applied to a lot of different things. And certainly it's used by people on the left in one way, it's used by people on the right in a different way, it's used by all of us and maybe different nuances, different shades of meaning. But it's interesting that everybody's concerned about it, you know? And, and the disagreements come from how do you apply it? How do you think about it? How do you, how do you try to bring, bring it about? A lot of that difficulty comes because we define it differently. Now, we'll get to Micah 6 in just a minute, but before we do that, I just want to talk about the word itself for, for a couple minutes, or the theme itself. It's used a lot. 
In fact, the word just is, is Hebrew word. They're going to talk about it if we show the video. Mishpar. It's a Hebrew word, and it's used like over 400 times in the Old Testament. I mean, it is a big deal to God. He talked about justice a lot. A related word is the word righteousness. There's some overlap semantically between the two ideas, two words. And it's used over 130 times in the Old Testament. There was a uh, book that Annie Dillard wrote called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And she is writing about observations that she had when she went out to, some of you would, I should have checked my facts better on this because some of you may know this better, but uh, as I understand it, she went out to get away from it all, spend time in nature, and so she wrote this as, as a kind of reflection about what she saw, and she said nature is, it is awful. It is, it's, it's terrible. What she, what she was talking about was, she's like a praying man, she's like observing this praying mantis that just, you know, is a, is cannibalizes uh, the mate, you know, and this nature being so violent and there's, there's no concern for rights or fairness or justice. It's all about just, if you can do it, if you can get away with it, you know, it's power, it's might, it's strength, you know, then anyway, she, she made that observation and, and, and human beings are different. At least there's a sense within us that we ought to be different, that we ought to be just and we ought to be fair. Uh, you remember the famous quotation from Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, President Obama used this in a different context, I think, a few years ago. The quotation was, the arc of history is long but it bends toward justice. Remember that from Martin Luther King? The arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Now, Martin Luther King, I think probably what he meant by that is, well, let me back up a little bit. Is that true, first of all? Is, is it true that the, that the arc of history is long? We would agree with that part of it, but is it true that it bends toward justice? Is there a trajectory in history that, that, that societies become more and more just? I think we'd like to think that. But left to our own devices, we human beings often act as if, if we can get away with it, we act as if we don't have some sort of moral impulse that the animal world doesn't have, right? So the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice, maybe? I think. Martin Luther King was looking at that certainly from a Christian perspective that it ought to bend toward justice as we, as we become more in tune with our creator and the morality that God put within us that it ought to bend toward justice but I'm not sure, I'm not sure that it does. Look at Micah 6.8. Right, let's just read it. Prophets are all about justice. Oh yeah, I was going to you know, before I, before I read this passage in Micah 6, um, just this observation that the, the world we live in and it's concerned for justice, you, th you think about the way different people would, would say they're people who are just, they are people who are concerned about fairness, but they'll look at a lot of different issues. What about like marriage equality today? Take since 2015 especially, the last seven years or so. 
Um, what, about, what about gender and the whole, uh, you know, certain thoughts about, uh, about how we express gender or whatever? What about abortion? Uh, what about welfare? You can pick out a lot of political slash moral issues, or moral issues that are also political issues, and you can think about how people talk about them, how they think about them from, you know, all over, all over the spectrum, all, all these different things, how they, they think about it in, in terms of justice. We ought to be just. We ought to be fair. We ought to be people who, who promote equality. And yet a person who is on the left end of the political spectrum is going to talk about that in a different way from the person who also believes in, in morality and justice, who's coming at it from a different perspective, you know? But they're all thinking about, they're thinking about justice, they're thinking about doing what is right, or they, you know, they, they're wanting to. Now, in Micah 6, this is one of the 400 times. He has told you, O man, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is at the end of a section in Micah 6, where in the context, really beyond Micah 6, in, in Micah's day, writing 700 years or so before Christ, contemporary of Isaiah, writing during this time where things were digressing morally, and in so many ways, religiously, uh, idolatry was, was a part of Israel's experience at that time. But they're, they're really, he emphasizes three things in this book. People are going out and there would be boundary markers, physical boundary markers that, that were set up that depicted you know, boundary lines where my property stops and yours starts. And people were going out at night and they were moving the boundary markers. You know, slipping out there in the cover of darkness and moving the boundary markers so that my land is now bigger than it was before and I've got some of your land, you know, that sort of thing. Just dishonesty. The second thing, also a dishonest thing, is they were changing the weights. Um, you know, you have a, a, a weight system where, you know, you have a, a weight that is, say, a pound and you put something in the scale. When it balances out, you know, you're selling a pound of wheat, for example. And yet, if, you're, if your weight is inaccurate, then you can sell a pound of wheat and only give them, you know, seven-eighths of a pound or whatever. So they were changing the weights, dishonest weights. And, and then a third thing they were doing is they were acquiring property from people who were down and out, who were having difficulties in life, and then they were turning the former property owners into bond servants. And so they were manipulating property acquisition in order to take advantage of those who were in difficult positions. The law had certain systems built into it, you know, every seven years, every jubilee year, every 70th year, uh, property would go back to its original owners and, and stuff like that, but um, they didn't honor those things. So throughout the book of Micah, he's talking to people who were, on the exterior, externally, they were calling themselves followers of God, but the way they practiced things, the way they practiced justice, or the lack thereof, they, were, weren't, they weren't, you know, and so he comes to this, Micah 6, and he is a mock courtroom, mock trial, and he says, you know, calls on the witness, witnesses of the mountains and the hills, you know, listen to what I'm about to say. And, and so he goes through this kind of mock back and forth, but, but the conclusion, this is the judge's pronouncement in verse 8. He said several things in the first seven verses. The judge's pronouncement is in verse 8. To a people who were externally worshiping God, externally saying they were followers of the one true God, 
and yet their lives didn't reflect that. They were living unjust, unjust lives. Micah says, He has told you what is good. This is what, this is what God wants. They had previously, in the verses just prior to this, they had said, well, what if we offer all these sacrifices? You know, what if we offer, you know, man, just extravagant sacrifices? I mean, tons of animals, all this stuff. What if we just, you know, mount up the sacrifices and, man, just do it like crazy? Is that good enough? And God's like, no. No, I want you to have an honest scale, man. I want you to, I want you to stop treating people unfairly. I want you to honor justice I want, you to, I want you to uphold fairness and treat people right. I mean, it's, a, it, it, it's almost like, you know, you and I read this and we're like, well, of course, obviously. But man, this is all over the place in the prophets. Making you think, you know, over 400 times the Old Testament, making you think that God is, is very concerned about justice, about fairness. He's already told you, oh man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you, do justice do mishpat. That's the mishpat. That's the word. 400 times. And the theme is, through the scriptures, is that we human beings turn away from justice, and yet through history, God is enacting. He's wanting his people to be, be people of justice. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who comes and shows us what it looks like. But, but till, until that day, God just encourages his people to live lives of justice. There are a couple of ways that we usually think about justice. We th- in, in fact, sometimes we might think of it more in the first sense than the second, though the Bible emphasizes the second more than the first. And the two are retributive justice. Uh, retributive justice is when somebody does something wrong, then they get punished. That's justice. And maybe when you think of justice, when we think of it, we think that first. I guess maybe depending on the context. I want justice to happen. Maybe in our mind it immediately goes to, well, somebody's done something wrong and we want them to be punished. You know, they, they, they steal something, they hurt someone, they do something that's against the law. They weave in and out of traffic, driving people off the road, and, they, and the police officer comes along and we're like, yes, retributive justice, right? We want that. It makes you feel good. Um, Second kind is restorative justice. And the Bible has retributive justice in it. I mean, look at the law. Look at the law of Moses. It's got that in it. But more often than not, when it uses the word justice, it's used in the context of restorative justice, which is, it is um, it's when we are proactive in the way that we live life and the way that we organize our societies and the way that we treat people so that we create an environment where people, regardless of their quote-unquote status are treated fairly and justly. That's the way the Bible usually, usually uses it, especially in the prophets. And this is, this is um, just over and over again, especially in the prophets, also in the Psalms, where God says, you need to be fair. Not only... Not only not do things that are unjust, so you don't do unjust things to people. You don't treat people badly. It's more than that with God. It's not just a not doing thing, but rather it is an, it is an active thing where we don't do the unjust thing, but we actively do the thing that elevates those who are marginalized, and we actively bring about this justice 
couple of examples of this. Zechariah 7. I want to read, uh, I think, two verses here. You can turn there. You can just listen to me as I read it. Zechariah, Zechariah 7, 9, and 10. There are, before I read it, you could probably figure this out if you thought about it for not too long. There is, in the Old Testament, what some people have called the quartet of the vulnerable. And so many times when God uses the word justice, when he's teaching us about justice, he uses it in the context where he's referring to the quartet of the vulnerable. Four different categories, if you will, of people that God says we've got to pay attention to if we're going to be God's people. You probably guess they are. Well, let me just read this verse because they're all mentioned in this verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Those, that's, and it's all over the place in the Old Testament. The quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. So often when God is teaching us about justice, he uses it in the context of you, you pick out, and, that, and that's, I don't know, that quartet of the vulnerable, it, it's just the way God talks about it in the Old Testament. We could talk about that in a lot of different ways, you know. What, whatever class or, or whatever person, whether it's an individual or a class of individuals, that because of whatever situation are in a, in a vulnerable situation, that is a person to which we ought to give special attention. Uh, it's just all over the place. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant or sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So there, it's more of a kind of a passive thing. Don't do, don't do the bad, don't do the bad thing. Listen to Psalm 146. Blessed is he who, this is verses 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, is God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. When I was thinking about this this week, and, and we've talked about this before, but it, it makes me ask questions about my own role or our own role as Christians in bringing about justice. Because I think we're pretty good, for the most part, at not doing unjust things. You know, none of us, I think, I think nobody in here would think about taking advantage of one of these vulnerable classes of people. You know, the widow, the, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor. And so we want to live our lives that we, so that we would never be caught up in something that would actively disadvantage people who are already disadvantaged, right? 
but there is a, a tone that kind of overlays or permeates so much of the Old Testament's teaching on justice that, that it clearly, to me, communicates this idea that it's not enough not to do the, the bad thing. Like I've already said, it's, it's doing the active thing. It's seeking out. It's, it's trying to use your position of influence, your position of, of power, in order to elevate those who are disadvantaged, in order to bring about justice for those who, for whatever reason, have been put in positions of vulnerability. See what I'm getting at? So, you know, my question, I don't have all the answers to this, but, but so often, well, let me say the question first. The question is, what does that look like for Christians now? You know, what does it look like? Sometimes we, I think, try to live too insulated of, a, of an experience, insulated from the common struggles outside of our own experience. I know my tendency, maybe yours, I don't know, but is to, I know intellectually, I see images on TV, I hear of things, you know, send a little money to Ukraine or, you know, give, give a little bit of, of stuff to the food pantry, you know, put a little salve on my conscience, you know, but then go about my life without really being disadvantaged too much, you know, without really taking on any of that. Sacrificing just a little bit so that I can say I helped, you know. But it's just throughout Scripture, there's, there's, there's this spirit that is where God, where God actually takes on, and we see this in Jesus especially, He actually takes on the suffering. He doesn't just send. God didn't just send. God came, you know. And he, he took upon the suffering. And I, and I wonder if, you know, you look at that theme from Genesis to Revelation, and there's something to be learned there from the experience of Jesus in taking on suffering in order to bring us out of it, that, there ought to, that there's something to be said to the church being more aggressive and more actively, more aggressively and more actively involved in taking on the experience of suffering from the people in our world rather than just staying in the suburbs, staying in our middle class neighborhoods and feeling sad over other people's experiences. I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm sort of just, I'm sort of just, I guess I'm just sort of rambling here, but I hope you, you can see what I'm, what I'm getting at. It's just like, I think Christians, based on this, this theme of justice throughout Scripture, we ought to be more engaged personally and maybe congregationally in, in, in doing what we can do. Wes, would you play that video uh, if you don't mind, let's, let's watch this before we run out of time. It's about five minutes long because they do a good job of kind of nuancing a couple of these things and then I'll get up and we'll finish up for tonight. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. 
And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families, and then in communities, and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. 
And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I think they uh, do a good job of, of kind of summarizing what I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a liberal conservative thing. It's, it's a, it's a Christ-following thing to want the good of others, you know, and to, do, to, to look out for the good of those who, for whatever reason, are disadvantaged. I think it's important for us as Christians to recognize uh, and just to think We'll pray in just a second, but just to think for ourselves about what does that look like for Christians and to what extent should we be involved in our world to try to bring about greater justice um, for those who are in the quartet of the vulnerable, you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever situation people are in if they are in a vulnerable situation for us as Christians, just to think, okay, what can we as a church do to, to be the presence of Jesus in our community, you know, to, to do those things, to be involved in those things? Okay, well, let's pray, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be done for tonight, okay?